I will also boost Mayor's financial autonomy by agreeing multi-year single settlements for the West Midlands and Greater Combined Manchester Authority in the next spending review, something I intend to roll out for all mayoral areas over time. I have also agreed a new long-term commitment so that they can retain 100% of their business rates, something I also hope to expand to other areas. Investment zones, regeneration projects, levelling up partnerships, local transport infrastructure and business rates retention, more control for local communities over their economic destiny, so we will level up wealth and opportunity everywhere. That's the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, at yesterday's budget, announcing a new devolution deal for Greater Manchester. It's a deal that makes Andy Burnham that little bit more powerful. This is the Manchester Weekly, from the mill. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill with me, Daryl Morris, and in the newsroom, in the Mill's newsroom today, Jack Dulhanty joins us. Hello, Jack. Hey, Daryl. You all right? I'm very well, sir. Yes, I'm really, really well. We're going to get uh, into the story of more power for Andy Burnham that was announced by the Chancellor at the Budget yesterday. Uh, we've also got a story from Frey Island that we've been following over the course of the last couple of days, haven't we, Jack? Um, people escaping Frey Island rather than escape to Frey Island, as it were. Yeah, that's right. Me and Molly have been looking into a whole kind of rigmarole that's come out of there in the past week after a quite poorly worded letter was sent um, to staff. But yeah, there's more on that in the podcast. Plus, we we cover it in depth in today's newsletter. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to read up on that, that's uh, where to go. Okay, brilliant. Okay, more on that in a sec. We'll get into it in a minute. And I think, and also, I suppose what it what it tells us about Manchester's nighttime economy as well. There might be some interesting threads that we can pull there. Uh, firstly, let's start with um, Andy Burnham getting a little bit more powerful. Uh, as we heard, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt has announced a new devolution deal for Greater Manchester, largely welcomed, but the devil as ever is in the detail. Um, Jack, what did the Chancellor announce and how does it affect us? Yeah, so this is the new trailblazer um, devolution deals, as they're known. So they go in a Greater Manchester and West Midlands uh, for the two regional mayors, obviously one, Andy Burnham, in West Midlands is uh, Andy Street. And essentially what the the big, I think what the biggest thing here is, is that there will be a block grant of funding. So it's, it's what is quite uh, bloodlessly called fiscal decentralization, but it will mean that Andy Burnham sexy. and <laughs> very sexy, uh, these regional, these two regional mayors will have a lot more power of how money is spent uh, in their region. It won't be a, a case of where they essentially have to, get funding from government with a sort of pre-planned idea of where that money will be spent. They'll just be able to have their own money and allocate it as they wish. So that's a huge win for um, for Burnham because he's been going that looking for that for a, a few years now. And it's similar to, to give you a kind of analogy. It's basically like what um, Wales and Scotland get, like a big chunk of allocated funding, which also speaks a lot to how... Um, committed to devolution we have now become where you know we're almost dealing with these regions in the same way that we do um countries within the united kingdom so that's a huge win uh there on top of that though when it comes to leveling up it's quite sparse there's one billion pound going into the leveling up fund uh which is a part of cash that local authorities bid for but that's been 
roundly criticised, mostly by Andy Street, who's the West Midlands mayor. And he's actually a Conservative mayor, but he said it was uh, the levelling up fund was an indicator of Whitehall's broken bowl begging culture. Uh, I might have got one of the words in the wrong order there, but you get the general sentiment. Um, and then beyond the one billion, there's twelve investment zones, which I think were already announced, and they'll invest eighty million pound over five years into each zone. Uh, Zoe Billingham, the director of IPPR North, um, did say that you know sixteen million per zone per year for five years isn't really going to shift the dial on regional inequality. So it's a bit of a mixed picture it's great for greater manchester and for west midlands but for the general mission of leveling up um it's not quite as good as i think most people would have hoped okay that's interesting um just specifically then on on what andy burnham can now do what powers it sort of hands to andy burnham um uh, or you know some more broadly greater manchester's local authority that, that we didn't have before just specifically what will be what we will be able to do after this that we couldn't before again i would focus in on that it's a multi-year funding settlement which means that now within that it means that he will have more control over how to fund things like education skills which he makes a huge deal of that's like his biggest thing if you, when he talks about uh regional inequality and sort of boosting the regions it's all based on creating economies around skills and being able to be sure that we have a labor force able to um well exist in that sort of space it also will allow them to retain business rates as well uh which will be of great use to to each region right so 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 on the business rates front if a business was you know a business pays its business rates annually or monthly or whatever that money would have would have been would have sort of shot off to a central pot somewhere but businesses in Greater Manchester paying business rates that will stay locally. Yeah, exactly. That money. It's another income source for the city, I suppose, or the region, should I say? Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Just help me out with this a little bit. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, ask you some details you might not know here, Jack. So <laughs> let's let's just go, let's just see what let's see what you can pull from the back of your brain. In in terms yeah. of in terms of this decision making about sort of about let's say education, for example, um, you know where where decisions on what on, on education funding are going to be made locally, whereas they would have been made perhaps in Whitehall previously. What kind of decisions? What 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 exactly? You know, if, if a school wants some funding for something, or you know, what what exactly is Andy Burnham going to be able to make a decision on that he couldn't make a decision on before? Well, it's not necessarily so much as with, with school funding. I presume, that, or I suppose that that will still be down to a sort of local authority level. When you're talking about what Andy Burnham will do, it's it's more broad than that. So he'll be able to create like he'll be able to fund things like alternative routes for education that aren't just either um you know university or a level so being having control of that education budget for 16 to 18 year olds will they'll be able to have more influence of what those people can do so it's it's i mean it reminds me in a way of when I spoke to uh, Alan Francis earlier this year, who's the chair of the Social Mobility Committee or the, the, the interim chair. It's about being able to offer p- uh, young people in Greater Manchester a sort of alternate route into work. So being able to offer more like apprenticeships or vocational um, courses that aren't the sort of uh, what you might describe as like the traditional way, um, the, the traditional post 16 to 18 education route that massively boosts um social mobility because you aren't trying to force everyone through the same 
narrow strait of higher education, if that makes sense. So that's one thing that you could do, I suppose. But there's a wealth of other ways to spend that money, I guess. Right. Okay. So, but, but ultimately, he will just have control over spending that money. That's the point, isn't it? Really. Yeah, and I think that that's okay. the main thing that people should take away from it, and that's probably one of the most significant parts of the deal. Okay. Very interesting. This is a model that's not dissimilar to some European countries. Uh, we're not. This this happens in Germany, plus parts of France potentially as well. Is that right? Yeah. So when Street was trying to make the case for decentralization. He referenced places like France and Germany who have these sorts of, again, it's always it always sounds so unsexy, but it's always like decentralized fiscal architecture. But it just means like individual regions will just be able to control the way that they operate rather than having to basically bounce back and forth to a centralized government for decision making. It just, it's much more hands off from Whitehall, essentially. And that has in other countries created more prosperous regions who know how they want to spend their money in their area and know what their people need. And, and actually, I do think I think, do you think decentralized fiscal architecture is actually quite a sexy way of putting it. <laughs> I'm going to get it tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should. Um, okay, is this it, it, it is sort of being described as a really big win? The chancellor uh, is is touting this locally as being you know. And, and, and you know MPs and such are touting this as being a really big giveaway, uh, as being a big thing, a big victory for Greater Manchester and for devolution. Um, is it? How, how big is it really? It's big. It's a big win for Burnham definitely because this is exactly the sort of thing that he's been pushing towards. Uh, really, since for, for as far as I'm aware, for most of the time that he's been mayor, like it's a it's an amount. It's another step. Uh, into further devolution so it's a win regardless um, but uh, I mean the FT have reported that these new trailblazer deals don't come without a catch it's not like you're just going to get given loads of money and then it's like spend it however you wish both um, both of the regional mayors will have to appear in front of like mini select committees of MPs um, and I think that's on a quarterly basis so what's that every three months to basically be scrutinised on how they are spending this money so it's not kind of like you know, take it, take it and run. They are going to be held to account. And and that's something again that each mayor has openly spoken about wanting as well. Like they want the accountability. I mean, who really wants accountability? But I presume they do. They want accountability along with the money. It was funny, um, Jennifer Williams, who's the FT reporter that broke that part of the part of the deal that will mean that they have to go in front of those select committees, tweeted that this is in very large part because Tory MPs in Greater Manchester are not partic- not very happy about Burnham getting new powers uh, without them being able to publicly grill him about what he's doing. So again, it's not all uh, smooth sailing. There will be um, a few difficult uh, patches, I'm sure. Right, okay. I suppose that's fair enough, isn't it, really? I don't think you can have too much accountability, can you? No, yeah. Uh, in local politics, I guess. Um, all right, very, very interesting. We'll keep an eye on how that develops. Um, you've also been writing this week, Jack, about Freight Island and people less escaping to Freight Island and escaping from Freight Island. Um, this is a really big story. It's a big story for Manchester's nightlife, nighttime economy as well, which is a, a part of the economy that we keep a very close eye on. What's going on? Yeah, so this whole saga, as as it's described in today's newsletter, um, started with a letter that was sent by the managing director of Freight Island, Dan Morris, to the employees of Freight Island. Um, 
which basically informed them the fact that their employment was well so to start from the beginning freight island are moving its bar function alone to a um bar and service provision so so to speak to an events company called peppermint and peppermint events is this really well-known events company that runs stuff all over the country um and in this letter the managing director dan morris told his employees that their employment would terminate their employment was terminated and that they would have to reapply for their jobs with peppermint um the reason that it, it caused such a kickoff one obviously that's like hugely inconvenient to a lot of people who are mostly working on um, zero hour contracts uh and things like that but the reason it caused such a huge hurrah was because of the way it was worded it started with you know like we are excited to inform you some words and then your employment's being terminated and you know like (laughs) that that was the main thing that's what uh attracted a lot of people's attention on twitter so that's what caused all of this sort of um this rigmarole as as you could say um and in the time since we've been speaking to staff about the time working there uh how they feel about the letter obviously they, they were quite insulted by it to put it um lightly and then we spoke to john drape who's the director of um freight island who set up this thing i mean freight island you have to give it some due it's a hugely imaginative idea and it was it's clearly done a lot of things right because over the past few years it's been very popular the footfall has fallen over the past year for various other reasons and and they have dealt with a hell of a lot of problems like it opened in 2020 that's more or less all you need to know for a new hospitality venue to be open in 2020 was naturally difficult um and what we've found well what john told us what the was the letter was essentially sent by mistake um it was never cleared or signed off on shouldn't have been issued and that there was never any actual uh intention to terminate people's contracts so it it, this has now come back around within the past week to them talking to like hospitality unions about this and transferring all of the employees to peppermint or retaining them in escape to fate island rather than terminating their employment so that's a very like quick look at that (laughs) um but yeah i presume you will have other questions I've got lots of questions, lots and lots of questions. So, okay, so, so, right, so that's that one part of the story, um, and a, a, a clumsily worded letter, and, and and staff actually just being transferred to another company. Fine. Yeah. Um, what it does throw up though, Jack, is some really interesting questions about a the company Freight Island, but also b as we say, the wider context of Greater Manchester's nighttime economy. Let's just talk a little bit about Freight Island, because as you say, this is a I mean, it is great. I mean, we had uh, just for, for you know the the, the the production company that makes uh, this podcast, Audio Always, had the had our Christmas party there uh, in in December, um, which was lovely and fun. I've been there loads. It's great if you go there. It's a it is genuinely a really brilliant experience. It's incredibly imaginative. Uh, if you haven't been, it's a sort of largely outside space uh, with kind of freight containers holding cafes and bars and food production and you take a seat and it's, it's brilliant. It's just a really nice, interesting concept. And it launched in 2020 um, in amongst a really difficult time. Also, by the way, having launched in 2020 during the pandemic, it was also, it was a, it was brilliant in a sense because it was, it's largely outside space, isn't it? So that period where you could only really gather outside, it was the perfect destination to go to have yeah. a bit of a, to, you know, to have something to drink and eat with some friends, but be relatively safe outside, etc. cetera. Um, 
just take us into its business though, Jack, because I think we've perhaps got a bit of a sense here of a turbulent couple of years for this really important part of the Manchester economy. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about part of the Manchester economy, as in the hospitality sector, it's been well, a very spe- well, well, Freight years. Island but specifically, then, actually. Freight Island yeah. specifically, yeah. So, I mean, this was planned in um, the sort of year-ish before, I think, the, the pandemic. I mean, I don't remember exactly. But essentially, when they, they came around to sort of start the build of Freight Island, that's when the first lockdown happened. So it's no surprise then that it, it became so well-suited to pandemic conditions because it sort of grew up in them if that makes sense so it was reacting to restrictions and fears around social distancing and all that sort of thing so it, it became a natural um and not an antidote obviously that would definitely be the wrong word uh a natural uh answer to the sort of things that consumers wanted which made it very successful in 2020 and 2021 uh last year though it had the Basically, more places were up and running last year compared to 2020 and 2021. So footfall was kind of diverted to these other places. They also had the the difficulties with the actual management of the space because it's so huge. It's 55,000 square feet. There's a 3,000 person capacity there. It employs hundreds of staff. Uh, Drape told me that when at a time when they were running the bar and all the food concessions, they were having like 350 staff members a day. Um, and that means a hell of a lot of admin, a huge HQ cost. You're having to send however many invoices to however many suppliers. So what they started to do was to sort of revert back to what you might call like a festival model where each part of the business is operated by individual businesses. So, you know, the food concession is just the food business dealing with all their own admin. Um, that way it's much more sort of dispersed responsibility. And that is essentially the decision that they've made with the bar. Um, they looked at the uh, sort of figures for the, for the end of last year. They saw a decline in footfall and they thought, well, we need to be able to, again, pass the bar on to someone else to, to run it more efficiently, to deal with all of that. Uh, the admin and the HR and the hiring and the supplying and then all we need to do is basically just pay that company to do it rather than invest all the time and the money into running it ourselves if that makes sense that does make sense that's very interesting um, and, and okay so on the broader point then of of why this matters to uh, the, to the city I guess um, why does this matter to the city what does it tell us about Greater Manchester's nighttime economy well it highlights again that we have these really big venues opening up. So a place called Diecast has just been um, announced, which is quite similar to Freight Island in that it's kind of multi-use, multifunctional, giant hub of activity. Um, and that you know the question that the the, the uh, article asks is like, has Manchester reached peak bar? Is there too many big places and not enough customers? Obviously, when you ask like general insiders, like, no, it's cost of living pressures that are keeping people from just like nipping out to the bar. But people are still going to like ticketed events and stuff like that. And Freight Island are, are great at running events because they have that huge space. And I think, or I presume that that's something that they're going to move towards doing more of as well. But what it tells us most importantly is the sort of precarious nature of working in Manchester's nighttime economy and the hospitality sector, which, you know, that applies across the board, across the country. But the difference with Manchester is with Andy Burnham being such a vocal advocate for the nighttime economy. And obviously he has Sasha Lord as his advisor. It has a much more 
um, pronounced presence in public life than it probably does in other parts of the country. So it's, that's partly why as well when stuff happens in the hospitality industry in Manchester, it garners such a such a big reaction because so many people are part of it here. Um, so many influential people have a stake in it. And it means that we kind of are more sensitive to what can appear, you know, like staff having a difficult time. And the the question as well that the piece asks about these bigger places that require more and more staff, they require more and more customers. Is does it actually just make the individual lives of these zero contract zero hour contracted workers even more precarious than it was before? Because they have to, you know, these places have to be able to relax, um, react to the sort of flex in. Uh, in trading patterns you might say again I'm using so many unsexy phrases today but like <laughs> it's, it's the kind of reacting to the days where you have a thousand people turn up compared to the days where you'll have a couple of hundred and how do you keep it staffed in a way that you aren't basically throwing all you know having to overspend on staff when you don't have as many customers that day and you also aren't just leaving zero hour contracted workers hanging waiting to find out when they'll get a shift that's a really difficult balance to strike and it becomes much harder when you when you're operating these big complex operations like freight island and i presume diecast will be the same and, and, and basically freight island's been shut since since new year hasn't it i mean it's not it's not going to reopen until the end of march by all accounts is that right um, for the most part, it opened for the Six Nations uh, as a kind of fan zone. So it has been open. But again, that it speaks to what I was talking about there, where you still have a bunch of staff who are kind of waiting to work out when they're going to get a shift. Am I going to get this event? Am I going to, you know, when will yeah. the place open? And I'll be back into sort of more regular, consistent employment. Yeah. Um, and that's all very difficult stuff to manage. I mean, you have to have a little bit of sympathy all around. It's on an individual level for workers, it's, it is literally um you know it can upend your year <laughs> it can upend your life if you work in the hospitality industry and all of a sudden you mm. are being told that this is being terminated i mean it's just not a pleasant thing to have to deal with equally these are very complex operations that are very ambitious and difficult to run so you can't be all that surprised when they need ironing out here and there which is kind of what's happening with this um, move to peppermint yeah okay very interesting uh, you can read more about that uh inside uh, a scared to freight Ireland's um, current situation, I guess, uh, in the uh, the Manchester Mill, uh, in your email. Uh, manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe to get that in your email inbox. A couple of quick bits and bobs to get our teeth into, Jack. Um, Metrolink uh, had some problems at Traffic News. Just keep things really sexy. Uh, <laughs> Metrolink had some problems this week. What happened? Yeah, so yesterday there were some sort of widespread delays on the Metrolink. Um because services went down on the Trafford Park line, sorry, which caused widespread delays all around. And we've been we've been writing about the kind of situation at Metrolink and, and its funding situation for a couple of months, and you know, and its reliability. I mean, a report that covered July to December last year said that eighty nine point seven percent of trams departed less than two minutes late. Although on some lines in Oldham and Rochdale that dropped to eighty two point eight percent. So that means that like almost a fifth of trams um were late and you also had uh i don't know if you remember last year as well late last year around november yeah um there were also metro link trams regularly well not regularly but there was a couple of derailments quite close together uh two trams in two months um jumping the tracks so it, it's yeah there's just a general interesting 
time looking at, uh, at Metrolink. Um, okay, well, on, on a broader transport point then, we've also been uh, uh, keeping an eye on the developments from HS2, um, a decision to sort of effectively suspend the development of HS2, um, and some leaked documents this week in The Guardian that shed some more light on the impact of that decision. That's right, yeah. So the sort of official line on the delays to HS2 were that they were going to save taxpayer money. Um, these rephasings of certain lines uh, between Birmingham Crew and Manchester um, will be now be delayed by two years. But this internal government document that was seen by The Guardian actually uh, contradicts that. It says that the delays to the rail co- project will increase cost, um, not save money. The Shadow Transport Secretary, Louise Hay, said that, quote, this damaging leak blows apart their key claims to saving taxpayer money so that was quite a a big story i mean obviously it undermined an official government line so that tends to be quite a big thing mm, yeah for sure um and to manchester united jack what's happening this week with the bid to buy manchester united yeah so the uh the bidders themselves are visiting old trafford i think it's uh the sort of saudi bidders are there today thursday and jim ratcliffe will be there tomorrow so that gives us a sense of the sort of progress being made with that deal. Okay, very interesting. We'll keep an eye on that and uh, any developments we'll bring them to you. Um, almost it from us for this week. Just take us into the Mill newsroom though, Jack, and uh, and what you're working on at the moment. Something for Paddy's Day? Yeah, I'm writing about um, St. Patrick's Day. So if anyone listens to this today and fancies giving me a call about their Manchester Irish heritage, I'm obviously uh, surnamed Dulhanty. You won't be surprised to hear uh, and I also have red hair, if that helps. It gives you an impression of the fact that I also have Irish heritage in the city. So I'm looking into that, and I'm also uh, hoping to write that up for this weekend. But we also have a few freelance pieces coming in. Um, Phil Griffin, one of our longtime contributors, has written about the sort of revitalization of townships in Manchester, like Levenshume and these sort of sort of trendy uh, satellite towns in and around Greater Manchester and we've also got Hugh Morris who's actually in the office right now in the next room um, and he's reporting on the Halle's conducting competition so they're both uh, really great stories that uh, we're excited to publish. Excellent very nice um, and we also give some nods as well for something to do around Greater Manchester over the next couple of days what have you got your eye on? Well I'm going to get two for one now I am going to Mulligan's tomorrow for St Paddy's Day because Mulligan's is the best. It's not just the best bar in Manchester. Well, actually, yeah, it is the best bar in Manchester. I was going to say it's the best bar in the world, but it's probably not. But it's the best (laughs) pub, definitely. Um, I really love it there. It's £10 entry. It's opening at 11am. They do all sorts of great stuff. There's a great Guinness and whiskey shot deal, uh, which is my my preference. So I'm going to go there tomorrow. And I'll, it'll also double as reporting, which is even better. <laughs> I'll be get, it'll be my job to go there at 11 a.m. and just chill for the day and also chat to people and write about it later on. But, you know, you do get a lot of those gigs, don't you? You really I do. do. Yeah. Uh, it's quite incredible how you manage to wrangle that every single time, isn't it? Um, yeah. uh, my nod for the weekend, apart from drinking, uh, my nod for uh, the week ahead is Manchester Film Festival at the moment. So still plenty of stuff going on for that. Uh, just Google Manchester Film Festival and you can have a look at what's going on. I think it runs up to the 19th. So there's still some chances to see some films for the first time. Uh, also, this is exciting. Um, on um, on Friday night at the the Waterside in Sale, which have the Waterside in Sale have loads of these little these, these sort of like really interesting uh, sort of people on their tours talking about their fascinating books or incredible stories. And on Friday night, you will hear from John Osborne. 
who won a competition on John Peel's Radio 1 show back in the early noughties in, in 2002. Um, and his prize was basically a box of records that, that took eight years to listen through. And um, he's on tour at the moment doing uh, talking about it, basically, and talking about these these records. It's a bit of an ode to radio. And um, anybody who sought solace in the radio, which, of course, I have and do, and that is what I've dedicated my life to. Um, so you can imagine my interest in this. Um, and it sort of features a selection of the records that were owned by John Peel and some stories around them and some of them really obscure and defunct bands. Um, and it describes as a unique opportunity for any Peel fans uh, to get under the skin of this great man and to um, uh, and to, to to hear some of these songs. So John Osborne will be uh, telling some stories from his collection of records that he won on a John Peel radio show at Sale Waterside on Friday. Uh, also a nod as well for The Merchant of Venice. Uh, Tracy Ann Oberman is starring in Shakespeare's classic At Home. Uh, that starts this week, I think, and runs through to um, next Saturday. Uh, so still some tickets to get uh, into that if you fancy it. Okay, that's it from us for this week. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. You'll get us in your podcast feed every Thursday with all the news you need to know from Greater Manchester. And manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe to get that in your email inbox too. For now, though, Jack, thank you. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs>